This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, I'm Dr. Caroline Leaf and welcome to my podcast, Cleaning Up the Mental Mess, a podcast dedicated to helping you take back control of your mind, mood and mental health. In this episode, I interview Dr. Colreet Chaudhary on how to use sound therapy to heal our mental and physical health, why modern Western medicine is failing to heal people, concerning health and wellness trends and so much more. Dr. Colreet's combined expertise in both modern neurology and the ancient science of health, known as Ayurveda, has uniquely positioned her as an expert, able to pull from the broadest possible base to treat her clients. She's passionate about raising awareness for the need of a paradigm shift in contemporary medicine that focuses on patient empowerment and a health-based rather than disease-based medical system. She is a regular guest on the Dr. Oz Show, where her teachings about Ayurvedic medicine have been applauded by a national audience. If you enjoy my podcast and want to know how you can help me continue making them possible, please consider subscribing wherever you listen and leaving a five-star review. And please continue sharing this podcast with friends and family and on social media. And now on to today's interview. Dr. Colreet Chaudhary, it is such an honor to have you in the studio with me today. Thank you so much for coming in to share your wonderful, exciting information that you have to share with us and the incredible work that you're doing. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for inviting me. It's so important. You know what really caught my attention about what you do is that you're passionate about raising awareness for the need of a paradigm shift in contemporary medicine that focuses on patient empowerment and a health-based rather than disease-based medical system. Well, as soon as I read that in your bio, I thought, okay, this is my friend. I can relate to this. This is fantastic. So before we begin, I'd love you to tell us a little bit about yourself and what what's not in your bio. Why do you do what you do? What got you started? What motivates you? Oh, why do I do what I do? Well, I think there's there's kind of the surface answer, which was that I was a neurologist that developed migraine headaches and couldn't tolerate the medications that I was prescribing to my own patients. And so that kind of brought me back to my connection with natural medicine, Ayurvedic medicine in particular. I, I always say, you know, that's kind of the origin story. There's always something that pulls you back. But why do I do what I do? You know, I think that's a slightly different answer in that I think we're at a time where we're losing our connection to some of our 
most kind of fundamental aspects of human life and what it means to be healthy as a and happy as a human being. And I think that even though the migraines were the kind of trigger for why I started reaching back to better understanding of what what does it mean to you know reach for human potential that it was it's that inner kind of quest that I think you know some of us are born with of I, I think life is supposed to be more than what we're shown I can't agree with you more that's I mean that's that's an incredibly important motivation and I think we've going for, in in cycles and we definitely there's more and more people that are speaking about this and the need to get in touch with what really counts we've become so reductionistic and I think that the exactly. biomedical model yeah it's just like you know our mind the most expensive part of us has been reduced down to the brain and you know these there's, there's just so much more than just you're not a machine so yeah I totally relate to what you're saying and I, that's that's an, a very important motivation and it's very interesting that you as a neurologist, your own experience of the medication for migraines, not migraines not working for you, motivated <laughs> you to look for alternatives. So what were the alternatives? How did you deal with that? Well, I think humility is an antidote to a lot of things. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. <laughs> and I think, you know, for me, there is a certain degree of arrogance that comes naturally after having spent, you know, decades in studying a particular field. You come to this point of thinking, I've got it, you know, I'm so highly trained at this point, I can conquer the world. And when I developed you know, migraine headaches, which was something that was within my own field, it, it was such kind of like a, literally a no-brainer of, well, oh, I've, I've got this. And when it didn't work, that was when I reached back into Ayurvedic medicine and really was forced to remember the connection between the mind and the gut, the mind and the body, and to, to stop looking at the mind and the nervous system as somehow you know, as as though it was living outside of the rest of us and acknowledge that we are an organism. We're not an organ. We're an organism that functions as a whole. <laughs> so important. I love that. And explain Ayurvedic medicine. Can you explain what that means? Absolutely. So Ayurvedic medicine is one of the oldest medical systems on the planet originating mm-hmm. from India. And although, you know, Although it sounds exotic, just simply because it has a foreign name, Ayurveda, the words themselves describe what it is. Ayur means life and Veda means science. So Ayurveda is really the science of life. And one of the fundamental principles of Ayurvedic medicine is that food is medicine and that your habits determine your health. That mm, the way that yes, exactly. Yeah. It's the mind-body connection that you, you cannot forget that there is a connection between mind and body. And of course, it goes deeper into that, though, also that we are a spirit that is embodied. We are we are something more than what we see. I so totally agree with that. And you can't ignore that. And if you do, you're going to pay the price, which is exactly what we've been doing for almost 60 years now in medicine, exactly. is, ignore, it is overlooking that very the majority of who we are. You know, my, my work has gone around studying the mind-brain connection, as I mentioned, and I've spent years showing that working on the conscious and unconscious mind and how that's pretty much 99% of who we are. Yet we've just for the last 30 to 60 years thrown that out the door and just focused on the physical. And right. you can't, you have to look at the integrated person. And even beyond looking at the person, the integrated 
whole of our planet and the relationship that we have with our planet and how that impacts health and you know the relationships that we have with other human beings and that how that impacts our health i think when we have global events like we're having right now it reminds us you know that we really are connected we really are one family living on this planet and if you try to put your head in the sand that what's happening in my little corner here on this planet doesn't matter to the rest of the world and vice versa what happens to the rest of the world doesn't matter in my little corner when you forget that connection you know events remind us <laughs> events exactly remind us. <laughs> And we've been doing that for a while now as, as a, as society, as humanity's been doing that for a while. And here we, the other day I was in, interviewing an epidemiologist about the whole pandemic. And he was saying that for the first time in history, humanity is collectively united against the same enemy. Right. And I thought, what a great way of, of explaining it. But that's true. We have to be collectively united and recognize it's, it's us together as humanity on this earth. And what are we doing and how it all interacts? And, you know, it's interesting because when you look at these ancient systems, they understood that. That's the core of Ayurvedic medicine. That's the core of many, many ancient systems, that we are one, that we are connected, that nature is not separate from humanity. So it's, it's, you know, always fascinating to me that we are relearning something that is so old and that there was a time that we were united on so many different levels and that we do go through these cycles of losing that and then having to come back to that realization. That's that's well, very well put. And, and look at now in this modern era, how we can bring in, blend in and really learn about modern medicine through ancient medicine or modern practices through ancient practices to get more of a balance. That's exactly right. It was one thing I did not want to admit was how important, for example, the connection between the gut and the brain was. And it wasn't until, you know, I became a patient and saw the firsthand results of how transforming my gut immediately impacted my migraine headaches that I had to step back both as a neurologist and as a neuroscientist and say, um, modern medicine didn't teach me this. And this, you know, 5,000 plus year old medical system cured my headaches within a matter of, of, of months. And they had this un- fundamental understanding of the brain gut connection. And so now, as we've, you know, understood more about the microbiome, repeating everything that was written thousands of years ago. And so when we do bring the ancient understandings to, you know, some of the things that we have discovered today, what we create is an extremely, extremely powerful bridge. Oh, that's so well said. So you, so I know everyone's wondering, what did you do to cure your migraine? And you already gave the hint that you worked on the gut-brain connection. So so tell us more. (laughs) I, I, I essentially just started following all of the recommendations that were made by my Ayurvedic practitioner, which was healing my gut. He started me on a program that was both dietary as well as herbal for healing my gut and reminded me of, you know, what the manual was for my body, which means that we had certain circadian rhythms that I wasn't acknowledging anymore from just the years of being a workaholic, And so I had to acknowledge once again that my body liked to wake up at a certain time, it liked to go to sleep at a certain time, that there was an ideal time for eating, 
you know, I came back to my meditation practice, which was a huge part of my life, which, you know, I gave up during my medical training. So it was basically learning, you know, how to eat and how to be human. I love what you've just said. It's just such basic practical knowledge that we all instinctively know, but we've kind of forgotten how to do. You know, it's like, so So I'm very, that's why I'm so excited to interview you because I'm, I'm writing my 18th book at the moment and it's about this mind management of lifestyle and how we have to come back to these. And science is showing us this and science is pretty ancient too. If you think, people always think science is right. modern, but science is ancient as well. So it's, there's so many, so many hundreds of years of, of, of research showing that this is, we've got, we cannot separate mind and body and spirit and it's well we've got to work it together so and I'm how, sorry, 18 book that's like having 18 children <laughs> no no i have i have i have four children not 18 <laughs> but it is like i think so i can say 18 plus four i didn't think of it that way 22 children yes, yes. no birthing a book <laughs> is definitely a it's a tremendous creative undertaking so congratulations on doing oh. it times. <laughs> Thank you. That's so sweet of you. And, and, and you've just written a book, well, wrote a book called Sound Medicine, How to Use the Ancient Science of Sound to Heal the Body and Mind. Can you talk about this book and maybe share a few key points and tips and takeaways? Because you, you've, you've applied this in terms of sound therapy. But let yes. me, let you tell the listeners your amazing work. Yes. So I was, you know, I was practicing in the U.S. as a neurologist, as an integrative neurologist using Ayurvedic medicine. And I got this opportunity and I describe it as a, you know, it's, it was a like Indiana Jones meets Dr. Strange kind of opportunity. <laughs> I got this opportunity kind of for a medical archaeological project where we're looking at probably the only medical system that is older than Ayurvedic medicine, which is the Siddha medicine tradition. And there's a lot of overlap, but I, I describe it as where Ayurveda kind of ends. That's where Siddha medicine begins. And it's just a spectacular system. And they really see the human body from a quantum perspective. So I consider them the first quantum biologists. And so sound has always been a part of my life as a medical tool because my my mom had my sister and I learned a transcendental meditation at a very young age. I learned when I was nine years old. And so I had always this subconscious understanding that sound could heal. But it wasn't until I started on this project in South India and as we started to dive into these ancient this ancient medical system that I began to understand just how powerful of a tool sound is, you know, and, and really looking at it as being when understood among the most powerful tools that we could ever use in the management of any medical condition, because as quantum physicists are now starting to understand, the entire universe is simply vibration. And so when you understand that, and then when you understand the resonant frequencies that are necessary to heal disease, you are now healing on the most primal level of our existence. And that is the level of knowledge that these, you know, ancient scientists, these ancient quantum biologists had. And so this, this book is an offering of you know, the the research and the information that I have learned as we have, you know, dove into these Siddha records in India. And we actually have a center there in Tamil Nadu, India, south southern part of India. 
And at the center, we implement everything that we are learning from these records. So at the center, we start every single day and end every single day with a sound bath. And we're using some of the mantras from the Siddhar tradition, as well as some of the Sanskrit mantras. And that is a core part of our healing, is using sound as a therapeutic tool. And we've just had absolutely phenomenal results. Lately, I have been finding it hard to motivate myself to work out and be more active, especially as I work on finishing my new book on a tight deadline. But I recently discovered a hack that actually makes me excited to work out and go for long walks. So, what is it? Well, I love listening to audiobooks on Blinkist. Blinkist is an app that takes the best key takeaways, the need to know information, from thousands of non-fiction books and condenses them down into just 15 minutes that you can read or listen to. With Blinkist, you get unlimited access to read or listen to a massive library of condensed non-fiction books, all the books you want and all for one low price. Right now, for a limited time, Blinkist has a special offer just for our audience. Go to Blinkist.com slash Dr. Leaf. Try it free for seven days and save 25% of your new subscription. That's Blinkist, spelled B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T. Blinkist.com slash Dr. Leaf to start your free seven-day trial. And you'll also save 25% off, but only when you sign up at Blinkist.com slash Dr. Leaf. The link and offer details will also be in the show notes. I'm so excited. I'm like sitting here on the edge of my chair thinking, <laughs> here, here is someone who, who I, I totally get. My audience is very, I have to just tell you this, my audience hears me talk about quantum physics all the time and I always include <laughs> quantum physics in my book. I'm not a quantum physicist, but I've studied sort of the philosophy and the theory and I end up being exposed to it in my training and that kind of thing. But it is our, our most fundamental core part of us is our consciousness is our, and our non-consciousness, this vibration, this energy wave. I mean, there's these mathematicians, I'm sure you've heard of Sir Roger Penrose, who's who's done the quantum calculations showing that we literally are made of waves of love and we immersed in the values of these vibrations of love. And I mean, that goes with every religion, every tradition, it, if you track this what you've just said now, track this ancient, these guys were, these, these researchers were ancient quantum neurobiologists. And we're seeing that in today's research, it's, it's the most accurate and fundamental of sciences, as you know. So when you start speaking quantum physics, I get even more excited. And this makes total sense <laughs> because you're talking about vibrations and, and, and I see in one of your, one of the, your articles, you speak about the vibrations on every cell that there's receptors for sound. So. Take it away. This is fascinating. <laughs> and, you know, when I look at many of these, the writings from these ancient traditions, because they're very poetic, as our, when you look at sacred writings from around the globe, we make the assumption that they are metaphors, you know, that they're describing something that's meant to be poetic. And we do not make the assumption that they are actually describing an absolute reality that they're not looking at it from a poetic standpoint, but they're actually peering in to nature's reality. And, you know, these, these ancient sages or whatever you want to, you know, call them, they were talking about subatomic particles 8,000 years ago. And so we are only now starting to catch up with that. We're starting to understand the biology of it. And I always remind that 
if you're not looking for something, you're not going to find evidence for it. And so what we are starting to find, because we are starting to realize, wait a minute, our old, you know, locking key biochemical model does not explain the complexity of human life. Not and even so remotely. We, mm-hmm. not, yes, not even remotely. You're absolutely right. And so as we started to acknowledge that, now we're starting to find some biological models for why could things like sound impact cellular structure? And so there's actually these little antenna on each of our cells called primary cilia, and they respond to vibration. They actually change the protein charge. They change the charge and shape of the cell in response to sound. And it's on every single cell. So you're, you're, you're talking about a biological, a physical structure that shifts the biology of the human being in response to sound. And when you think about this, why wouldn't that be the case? Look at how quickly we respond to, to sound. You know, when a baby's crying, you, you, a mother can, can pick out her child's cry. <laughs> you can have a hundred babies and a mother can pick out her baby's cry and look at the speed in which she responds to that cry. And think about when you enter into a room or any conversation, the tone of somebody's voice immediately will set you into either, you know, biochemical pathway A or B, depending on whether there seems to be some hostility or whether it feels, you know, loving and open. So we're actually designed to respond to sound. Why would we not have the biology that supports that? It's absolutely fascinating. And how you said that is just so accurate. We just used to think that the cilia on the, the internal, the, the semicircular canals is what how we hear things. Meanwhile, it's on every single cell, which is however many trillion, we don't quite know, do we? It's anything from 35 to 100 trillion cells. Every single one is primed to respond to the vibrations of sound. And what's so interesting with the quantum physics, and please this is your area more than mine, but there's no space-time dimension. So when we talk about sound, I mean, you can have a, I'm thinking of my own children that are in different cities, like studying at different univer- at universities and I'm here and whatever, or I'm traveling because I travel extensively. I sense, I know my kids are connecting with me. When they'll send a text, I can hear their voice, I can hear the emotions, I can feel it right. and I'm responding. I mean, that's what you're talking about, isn't it? Yes, and when you think about Sound in particular, it's not just the sounds that we hear. You know, what we call sound, first of all, it's a very egocentric definition of it because, you know, other animals, for example, pick up frequencies that human beings cannot pick up. So do we say that sound is only what human beings can hear? No, sound really is just the entire world of vibration, including our thoughts. Our thoughts are audible. They're audible to us. And so our thoughts are a form of sound. So when you start to think about, you know, the energy generated by thoughts, and when you look at both what the ancient sages and scientists refer to as ether in India, they refer to as Akash, and now quantum physicists are referring to it as zero-point field, that there is this very, very subtle substance, and they actually do refer to it as a substance, there's a very subtle substance that transmits vibration. And so that substance is everywhere all at once. Sound is transmitted through that substance. It connects all of us all of the time, everywhere. 
Mm, that is so powerful. And we can just see that in evidence, as you already mentioned with the current pandemic, how we have all, through a shocking experience, but we've all become so much more connected. We've always been connected, but we're aware of it now. The Absolutely. awareness is there. And the science is starting to support that connection. We're seeing it as a global event, but the science is actually supporting that, you know, and when I say science, I'm referring mainly to quantum physics because unfortunately biology has not yet caught up to it. The science is really supporting that you cannot do anything to anything in the universe in place A without it affecting every part of creation and when you start to accept that and live from that perspective you know your life becomes what i think many people would consider spiritual but i think it's just it becomes conscious your life becomes conscious and all of your decisions become conscious because you're no longer living in 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 a in a vacuum state, which now we know there's not even such a thing as a vacuum. Exactly, there is no even such thing. Vacu- there is no such thing as a vacuum. So you know, it, it's it's when you embrace these fundamental principles of nature, that's what turns you, I think, into what we would have referred to as a spiritual person, which is essentially just a conscious human being. Exactly, aware of the impact on each other and aware of the world around us and the impact that we have through time. Yes. Because that's what I love about quantum physics. It's beyond space and time. And as you said, when, when one particle is they're in relationships, they can be thousands of miles apart. When one spins this way, the other will spin the other way. So there's, there's a relationship, whether we like it or not. And don't, don't you think that, Dr. Corita, that this really brings back down to the fact that we have to take responsibility, each and every human on this planet, for our decisions, for our thinking. This is a huge part of what I teach is that we have to be use our minds to control our minds, to manage our minds, because every thought that we're thinking is generating this energy that's impacting every single other human and the planet. It's absolutely correct. I mean, I could not agree with you anymore. And that's one of the fundamental teachings that we see in almost every ancient tradition, you know, whether you want to look at spiritual traditions or medical traditions, because, you know, in the past, there wasn't a difference. They saw medicine through the eyes of spirit because they understood this, that you cannot be healthy and thinking unhealthy thoughts about the world that there was no there was no difference there was a very conscious based you know approach to to life and when you do embrace this level of responsibility what happens is when you embrace your connection because it's, it's there whether you want to admit it or not but when you consciously embrace this and start really looking at what are the patterns of your thoughts and how do you begin to change them, you begin to have really magical experiences. And this is this was the role of mantras. This was one of the role of mantras was to help people break negative cycles by offering a sound, a sound that comes from nature that has a resonance of positivity to literally rewire your brain through a process called brain entrainment, that sound can actually entrain your brain to resonate and to create new neurochemical links to break negative patterns. And when you break the negative patterns in your mind, you break the negative patterns in your world. Oh my gosh, when I hear you say this, I actually really am sitting on the edge of my chair because it's like I feel I'm not the only one out there 
trying to tell people and help people understand that this is something <laughs> that you can actually do. Your and there's so much, it's total science because people always think science and spirituality are odd odds. Science is so spiritual, spirituality yeah. is so scientific, and everything about who you are as a person is so spiritual and it is going to impact your body because your spirit is connected to your mind and your body and moves through it. So your body and mind respond and you're in the world. So the world responds to what we're doing with, and, and you can change your brain. This is, you're, you're a neuroscientist as well. So am I. I mean, we are seeing a spiritual impact on the brain as neuroscientists, aren't we? Well, you know, I think it's, I, I agree with you, but I think it's 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 strange when we start to say things like a spiritual impact on the brain or when we say like a, you know, the mind-body connection, because you're you're talking about something that is one unified whole. And just because we don't acknowledge that whole doesn't mean that it doesn't exist. You know, if you try to, and we can use many different words for spirit, but like, you know, for many people, it's comfortable to use the word consciousness. Tell me where you do not experience consciousness. There is a an intelligence that is running your entire body right now. Tell me which cell in your body is independent of that consciousness, which neuron in your brain is independent of that consciousness, that there is a there is an intelligence that is more masterful than just your personality. And that intelligence is what so many traditions refer to as the spirit. I think if you just look at it as it's a higher intelligence that you are a part of, that runs this body, then we, don't, we stop you know, trying to dissect like where is it and where is it not because it's everywhere. It permeates you. Exactly. And that's what I love about the fact that we can actually relook. I love what you just said, by the way. It's fantastic. And the love that we can actually, when I teach people and I show them, for example, when I use a QEEG or something and I show people that this is the response of your brain, those are the words I use. This is not your brain producing. This is the response of this integrated reaction of you interacting with the physical. And you, 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 to, you drive that. You drive that process. I am constantly on planes, traveling to conferences and all over the place. And one major problem I used to have was dehydration, which really made me dread flying. Dehydration also made jet lag and headaches so much worse. But ever since using liquid IV electrolytes, flying has become so much more enjoyable. Liquid IV can provide the same hydration as drinking two to three bottles of water. It contains five essential vitamins, more vitamin C than an orange, and as much potassium as a banana, and is healthier than traditional sugary sports drinks, no artificial flavors, preservatives like Pedialyte or Gatorade. If you're dehydrated, try Liquid IV. It's the fastest, most efficient way to stay hydrated. Get 25% off when you go to liquidiv.com and use the code DRLEAF at checkout. That's 25% of anything you order on Liquid IV's website. Just go to liquidiv.com and enter promo code DRLEAF to save 25% and get better hydration. That's liquidiv.com promo code DRLEAF. Don't wait. Start properly hydrating today. The link and offer details will be in the show notes. 
I want to ask you this. You, you're passionate about raising awareness of the need for a paradigm shift in contemporary medicine that focuses on patient empowerment and a health-based approach. It just seems so appropriate to talk about that now, you know, that, that we want a more health-based, so it's disease prevention rather than disease management and right. so on. So talk about the change that's needed in the current medical system based on the discussion that we've had so far. I think there's there's two aspects of the change. One is the fundamental psychology that we oftentimes have as physicians, and I'm guilty of this as well, and was really forced to shift out of this when I started my journey in Ayurvedic medicine. There's a fundamental you know, psychology in medicine that the doctor's in charge and that the patient is there to follow the instructions blindly of the physician. And it's a very archaic, very patriarchal way of approaching an intelligent human being. And I really had to break out of that, not just for myself, but for my patients, where I forced them to take responsibility because, you know, patients are also trained that they are so disempowered that they're not even a part of their own health decisions. And so when they came to my office, you know, I first of all, force them to acknowledge that their health is their responsibility, that I am a guide through this process, but that I wasn't there as their motivation coach. I wasn't there as their mother. Like I wasn't there as a parent, you know, that I wasn't there to scold them, that if they didn't want to do something, that that was okay. But then they also didn't need to waste my time or their time by coming to the next appointment that, you know, I, I really feel that we need to approach our our patients as the intelligent human beings that they are and engage them in conversations about their health. So I first of all think that, you know, focusing on patient empowerment and not making people feel that they only have one, you know, one path forward and listening first to what are they looking for? You know, what are their own interests in their health? So I think that's a fundamental shift that has to happen. And the second one is you know, stop denying that our life choices don't impact our health. <laughs> you know, mm, thank you. Why, why do we deny this? I remember when I first started practicing Ayurvedic medicine, you know, to me, it wasn't rocket science. I was telling my patients with multiple sclerosis to stop drinking soda and start drinking water. You know, these are really, really fundamental choices for health. And I had neurologists in the community that reacted really strongly that how dare you say that your diet has anything to do with multiple sclerosis. And I was just dumbfounded that, you know, how can you tell somebody who's living off of processed food, caffeine, and sodas, that that's somehow not impacting the level of inflammation and autoimmunity in their body. So I, I would say, you know, those are the two biggest things that we need to begin with. And those are those are really just baby steps compared to where we need to go from there. But we can't go any further until we first take a stance on that the doctor is not this dictator. God. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not this God that the patients need to come in and we need to empower them. And the second is to stop avoiding, you know, the conversations around food and exercise and stress level and the impact that it has on disease. 
And it's such a, these are so fundamental, so vitally important. And I'm so glad that you've outlined those such basic things. I've trained physicians for years and I can tell you that those are almost like it's best, a little bit better now. But when I first used to bring that up in, in a training session, it would be, why is that even important? Right. You know, <laughs> so it's just, I'm so. Our training, you know, we'd, I'm trying to think about my training. I think I maybe had an hour of training in nutrition. And when you train the way that we train as physicians, where the hours are so long and, you know, it's kind of just like these conditions of like, you got to push through it. Then you take what you have learned, you know, as absolute truth, because you worked so hard for it. You know, those are some very, very long periods. And so once you finally have that opportunity to say, okay, I have this badge of honor, I've survived this grueling training, you do not want to come out of there and, and hear that, oh, it was incomplete or you maybe got it wrong. So it's, it's difficult. That's why I said, you know, humility can oftentimes be the greatest medicine because it's easy to come out of such a grueling medical training with a certain degree of arrogance of I must know it all because I have spent so much time and so much effort learning this. Do not tell me that I got it wrong. Mm, that makes so much sense. And it's it's also this this thing of like, I've got to know it all. There is that associated badge. Like, if, you know, what are you, if you're not a medical doctor, well, it doesn't, it's not valid. And that's right. not true because each and every one of us, you know, there's, there's, everyone's contributing some, every field of knowledge is contributing something else. And to expect that one group of professionals knows everything is also tremendous pressure on a physician. I mean, if you consider that one physician a day commits suicide in America and, you know, the worldwide stats aren't very different, there's a valid reason to, as you say, step back and look at how medicine needs to change just for the sake of our for the physicians, for the sake of people like yourself. And it sounds every time I talk to, because I work, I interview lots of physicians and I work with physicians in my research and in my work. And it's the ones that have gone through something like you've experienced, like you, you realize with your migraine, you gave that example in the beginning. It's like you, you have this experience or something with one of your patients and then you realize there's so much more. So I'm so much so pleased that there are physicians like you that can then empower the rest of the the medical community to change. So thank you for what you're doing. It's so vitally, vitally important and for the work that you're doing in India. And, and I just hope that this message can be spread very widely and that I can help to do that. What are some of the other changes that you think are necessary? I think we cannot have this gap much longer where we accept quantum physics in our technology, you know, we accept, I mean, quantum physics is the basis of much of the technology that we are enjoying in life. We cannot have this gap for much longer where we accept that as, as true when it comes to our technology, but we do not accept it when it comes to our body. There is such a massive scientific gap between what we have understood as the reality of the universe versus the way that we practice medicine. Medicine has to grow up. It has to grow up just like all of the other sciences are growing up. And we cannot use technology just to forward our economic system. You know, we can't use technology to forward the creation of new gadgets that make our life a little bit more interesting. We have to forward our medical system by embracing what seems like two completely, you know, opposing views of the human body. And and there are scientists, and I talk about this in my book, but there are scientists and physicians 
that are starting to talk about this in terms of the human biofield. It's an umbrella term that actually came out the out of the NIH in an attempt to begin to do this, in an attempt to say, look, there are things that we don't understand why they work. We don't quite understand why acupuncture works. We don't understand fully why meditation works. There's a lot of healing systems. We don't understand why Reiki works. But we do have science now that shows that they do, in fact, work. The challenge with medicine is that if you do not have a medical paradigm for the biology of it, even if you can prove it, it still won't be considered true. And and to me, that is mind-blowing that we can do research on something, you know, like Reiki and show that, oh, yes, there is a positive response, but the medical community still will not accept it because we don't have a biological paradigm that explains why Reiki works. And so we just, we cannot stay in this infancy much longer where we just keep denying, keep denying, and keep going to these very, very simple solutions of, you know, if it's in a pill, then it works. If it's, you know, anything like sound or, you know, light or all any of these other techniques, we don't have a biological paradigm. And so therefore it cannot work, whether it, whether it does or doesn't, we won't accept it. You've said something that's probably the most profoundly important statement that that needs to get out there. Probably the most critical thing you've said in this in this interview. Everything you've said has been amazing. But to for them to actually for the world, the medical world, to recognize that they're accepting quantum physics in machinery, in technology, in the ultrasounds, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, but they're not accepting it in the human body. So there's a complete cognitive dissonance that's occurring there. And it's exactly what happened when quantum physics first, as you know, when it first right. was defined and in the in the early you know, 1920s and before that, where it was just not accepted and classical physics has dominated because if you can't see it, touch it, feel it, it doesn't exist. And how they push that, I've written quite a lot about this in my books, how it gets, as soon as you can't see it, it gets pushed aside and quantum physics has looked at some woo-woo thing. Meanwhile, it's fundamental to, if you say it doesn't work, well, then don't use the ultrasound. Right. You know, don't use, well, don't use, don't use your cell phone. Yeah, you can't use, yeah, your, don't, you can't use your cell phone. <laughs> don't use, don't use the internet. Don't, don't do anything. You know, that's, yeah. So it's, it's kind of this paradox that exists. It's not only in the medical world, it's in the religious world as well, where there's very often this thing that you can't have, you know, quantum physics is bad or that, the, you know, this whole disconnect that is that you've just described. And I agree with you that that is a very, very important step. And as you said, it's also getting the biological a frame of reference, a theoretical explanation. Because if you look at the world, you're in neuroscience as well. There's so much data that's accumulated in neuroscience, wads of data, but but the amount of data is not being, it's not being interpreted or used in the yeah. way that it should because they don't have a theoretical model. They're stuck. They, they just, what is consciousness? It's the hard question. We can't answer it. So therefore we just won't. Promissory materialism. We can't keep doing that if we're going to progress in medicine. No, and we're already creating such a gap. And I think the big scary thing about quantum physics for people in the medical sciences is it starts to force you to grapple with what feels like spiritual questions just because we have separated, you know, ideas like consciousness out of the medical field. Because if you're saying that everything is fundamentally connected on a quantum level and that everything is influencing everything on a quantum level and that simply by observing something you've altered it, well, you have now thrown out some of the basic premises of modern medicine and you've, you've honestly thrown out the entire 
you know, system of doing research, because as soon as you're observing anything that you're researching, you're altering it. And so it feels like such a big philosophical jump that, you know, as, as, as young of a medical system as we are, we're not ready to make that jump in maturity, but we don't have a choice. We simply we don't, don't have, have a choice. choice. No, it's, society's got to the point where we have to do that. We have to just bring back, not throw out the new, but bring, see the new in the lens of the ancient. And I think that's kind of what, if I hear you correctly, what you're trying to do in, in your work. Yeah, because we can't have our technologies science advancing beyond our bio- biological sciences. You create a giant wobble. <laughs> you create a giant wobble. And we're really experiencing that now. We're really starting to experience that. And when you experience something like that, you have only two options. You can either you know, get your head out of the sand and say, okay, we've got to go back to the drawing board. We really have to rethink this because now this is no longer, this no longer makes sense. We've got two split realities where if we want a new gadget, we believe in this, but if we want, you know, a medical cure, we will have none of this. Um, The other option is you put your head in the sand even further, but eventually that's not going to work. That's not going to be the approach that we're going to be able to go to of just saying, no, we don't want to believe it. Therefore, we won't believe it. Which is ignorance. So it's not, and it's not going to advance medical science, nor is it going to help. And that's why so many patients are taking it into their own hands to, yeah, they, they are actually finding out more and often going to their doctors with, with the information. And I'm sure you, you're very aware of it, that we've reached quite an interesting period in our, in our history where we've, where for decades, as we know, for the technology and medicine advancing, people have been living longer, but the decade, the trend reversed between 2014 and 2015. So people are now dying younger right. in the prime of their life than they did before. You know, so the warning signs are there. You can't constantly ignore these quantum physics, the spiritual dimension, the consciousness or whatever you want to call it, the approach that Ayurvedic medicine has, the spiritual body, whatever words, whatever language, whatever discourse, you cannot ignore that higher level of intelligence and not expect some kind of impact. As you may know, every year I host an end-of-the-year mental health summit. Due to the COVID-19 pandemic, I'm excited to announce we will be making this a virtual summit December 3rd through 6th. So, if you've always wanted to attend but couldn't due to flights or other commitments, now is the time. In this summit, you will learn simple, practical and scientific strategies to help you clean up your mental mess and live your healthiest and happiest life. This summit will also include guest speakers such as Dr. Daniel Amen, Dr. Will Cole, Dr. Nicola Perra, Dr. Henry Cloud and celebrity Michelle Williams from Destiny's Child. We will have sessions on how to overcome trauma, what to eat and do for optimal brain health, how to deal with toxic words and people, how to set boundaries, how to use my five steps to detox your brain, and so much more. We will also be offering CMEs and CEUs. Registration is now open and we are offering a special early bird discount just till October 15. Your registration includes access to all sessions, discounts on online products, recordings of all sessions after the event and special downloads and workbooks. Register now at drleaveconference.com. The link and more details will be in the show notes. Coming back to to sound therapy, talk a little bit more about that on a on a practical level, just to maybe land this conversation that's got 
that's very important, but has gone almost philosophical. Let's land that back in a practical level. How can one use sound therapy to start bringing this into a reality in our own lives? Well, there's so many different ways. And this is where I really congratulate many of my patients, how forward thinking they are, you know, how many people have already experienced the benefits of sound and are reporting it back, you know, to me because they know I'm open to it. But there's so many ways to experience sound. And there's already so much research being done in sound as a medical tool, both in the form of music therapy, which is present in many hospitals now and has been used for the treatment of conditions like PTSD and anxiety and has even been beneficial in conditions like Alzheimer's disease. But for me, I think the absolute easiest and most independent way that you can use sound is simply through a mantra meditation practice. And, you know, I mentioned uh, transcendental meditation was the meditation practice that I was introduced to when I was nine years old. But, you know, mantra meditation, which a mantra is a sound, it's a sound from that reverberates, you can say, with the vibration of nature and creates a certain resonance in your mind that is uplifting to the body on a biochemical level, mantra practice is a part of almost every major spiritual and medical, ancient medical tradition. And so in the book I give, you know, there's so many different mantras, you know, you can look at like Buddhist traditions, you can look at, you know, Hindu traditions, you can look at Sikh traditions, there's, you know, in the Jewish tradition, there's so many different mantras that are there. And I focus on the book in a particular tradition, just as an example of how you would use a phrase or a syllable as a mode of sound therapy and just by chanting it either out loud at first but eventually in your mind for 20 minutes a day how that can start to shift your biology and it's the simplest the last chapter in the book is a complete how-to guide on how to incorporate this Fantastic. So I'm even thinking of examples like people in in churches that are singing praise and worship together and how they can often repeat a sound or they go into a a chorus or there's a certain line or a phrase and there's a repetition and then there's almost like a chanting and then there's the bodies are moving and the arms are raised. There's a whole sound therapy thing going on there. That's exactly it. And that's what I mean is that it's not a foreign concept. It's being utilized, but it's it's being utilized in that setting, for example, one day a week. And people feel uplifted after being exposed to something like that. And why would you do something only once a week if it's beneficial to you? That's like saying, well, once a week I'll drink water or once a week, you know, I'll take a bath or once a week I'll brush my teeth. But on all the other days, I won't benefit from that healthy practice. So it's just a conscious way of acknowledging the impact that sound makes, but incorporating it into your daily routine. I I cannot fathom my life without having sound as a conscious part of my health, you know, health regimen in the form of both meditation as well as, you know, many of the things that I, most of the things I listen to are thousands of years old because they had a better appreciation for how vibrations can alter the body. But I can't imagine my daily life 
without these things. Mm, that's, and that's what I wanted to ask you. What are you doing personally to incorporate sound therapy as part of your daily routine? So every single day, and this has been going on since I was nine years old, every day I meditate using a mantra meditation. And so I do that in the morning and in the evening. And like I said, I cannot imagine a day without that because it erases, you know, we're being bombarded by sound, whether you want to acknowledge it or not, you are, you're being bombarded by the negative influences usually of sound. I mean, the form of leaf blowers or, you know, just from negative conversations or there's ambient white noise. And so the mantra meditation for me just erases the biological effects of those. And I actually get to interject what I want my cells to be resonating with. So that is a very key part of my daily routine. And then throughout the day, though, I'm also listening to therapeutic sounds. And this comes in many different forms. You know, there's many artists now that have created songs using mantras. Deva Primal and Mitten are one. Krishna Das is another. There's many. Tina Turner and Cher actually came out with versions of this. And so I'm also listening to those during the days, you know, or I'll be listening to different types of musical tools like singing bowls that resonate at particular frequencies. So I am using sound both privately in my home and then throughout my workday, I'm constantly bathing in sound that I know will have a positive influence on me. Mm, that's amazing. And along with that, you're working on your GI gut microbiome as well. So it's yeah. in terms of what you eat. So that's another massive part of this whole thing as well as we have to feed these cells as well, isn't it? No, you're absolutely right. I would say if you can, because sound takes care of your mind so well. Sound can, sound can shift your subconscious thoughts so quickly. I mean, I, I've not found anything more powerful than, than sound. And I mean, think about it. Think about when you go to see a movie, how important the soundtrack is. If you don't have the soundtrack, you will not have an emotional response. So sound is an immediate way to influence your your mind. And so between, you know, for the mind, I use sound. And then the other major part is your digestive system. And that goes, you know, that is, I honor that system through the foods that I eat and the way that I eat in terms of the timing and so forth. And if you implement these two practices, if, if you can strengthen your digestion, which is a core part of your immunity, and focus your mind on positive vibrations, you would almost have to really work at being unsuccessful in life. That's, I mean, you would have that's to really- incredible. That's, and I so totally agree. When you talk about focusing on positive vibrations, you know, some people may take that wording up and twist it around and think it's something weird. It's the most practical thing. So here, if you are actually saying to someone, hey, I love you, you look amazing today, you mm-hmm. are actually sending out from your thoughts from inside your mind, which then structured into your, wired into your brain, you're sending out an energy that's a sound wave that's healthy. It's filled exactly with all right. the... And and that is exactly what you're talking about. So we're, so it's it's how we actually choose to con- manage our mind that generates the choices, that generates the words, that generates. And then adding to that, we can facilitate the process by putting the music in. So it's what we generate from inside out and then also what we are putting in. I love that. Where I was still practicing, I always had classical music playing in my in my office, always had music playing. And I would go into schools and train teachers and I would train physicians and all kinds of things. Always had music. You know, and, and if you think of it, we always it's it's the most 
people love music, you know, and just with, I don't know if you'd, I made a comment to one of my daughters today, who's, who's actually my producer. And, and we were the, we, in our studio where I'm taping from now, it's very, very quiet. And you feel like you're in this, this sort of bubble. And I went outside and it sounded the same because the sounds have changed outside because of the pandemic. And mm. it's so different. It's so, the aren't the fire engines in the cars and <laughs> you actually can hear nature. You can yeah. hear the knees rustling. And I said, it's so quiet, but it's so peaceful. It's like, so and I just want to go and stand outside. There's something that you said that's so important that when you said you can hear nature. And so when I'm saying positive vibrations, I'm not saying it from, you know, some kind of theoretical standpoint that, you know, these, these, these ancient quantum biologists, they understood that the mantras were actually the resonant frequencies of nature. You know, the leaves rustling, the wind blowing through the trees. Exactly. Or the, you know, listening to the ocean or listening to the song of a bird, they immediately relax your mind. And, you know, since we can't always be out in nature, the mantras bring the resonant frequency of nature into our mind. So when I'm saying good vibrations, I literally mean good vibrations. Vibrations, <laughs> like the song, good vibrations. I mean, that's literally, and isn't that the, the case also with the with this pandemic now in, I think it's in the many parts of the world where they've had to cut back with people are not driving cars. I think oh, it was in it's some places where there's been pollution, they haven't heard birds singing right. in the sky for years. And I'll suddenly can hear them. Yeah. yeah. So, so when we actually pay attention to sound and what we're doing with our technology and our technological age, we can, that's also what you're talking about. It's, it's a whole different, it's, it's going back to our, our roots and blending in our roots back in with the modern. And, and it's fascinating to me because almost every spiritual tradition talks about sound being at the basis of creation, like in the Christian faith, at first there was the word. And I think we take for granted what that actually means. And I think, as I said earlier, we, we look at it as metaphoric and not as an actual description of how life came about. And when you realize that life on its most fundamental level is essentially sound waves, it's just vibration, we're just, the universe is literally singing, that when you understand that that is the fundamental level of creation, you begin to look at sound very differently and how it is being used in your life and how you would want to use it in your life. Oh my gosh, this is fantastic. What you've just been saying, I'm just so excited. It's it's wonderful and it's so real. In the beginning was the word. I mean, as you've just said it, it's not metaphorical. It is actually sound that has pretty much set intelligence into being and yes. it's, and that's what we need to tap back into. This is amazing. Dr. Corrie, I cannot thank you enough for taking the time to come and join me and share your wisdom and I hope that we can do this again and where can people find out more about you, your work, your clinic and get your book? And you've done a, you've written another book called Prime, so both your books. I'd love to we'll put the show links in the show notes for both your books. But where can they find out more about you? Both of the books, The Prime was one that I wrote a few years ago on the brain gut connection and mm-hmm. Sound Medicine is the book that just came out this month and both of them are available on Amazon. And if people want to learn more about me, it's just drdr.kulreetchaudhary.com. And our center that is in South India 
is the website is just S-N-H and then center, C-E-N-T-R-E. It's the British spelling.com. Mm-hmm. And it's Jerry Narayani Holistic Center.com. But if, if people just look up my name, I'm the I'm actually the only Kulreet Chaudhary on the net. So <laughs> Oh wow, that's amazing. You got a unique you got a I'm unique little holding there. You made a straight <laughs> holding on the on, on the internet. So if you look for me, there's also a link to the center on my website. Wonderful. We're going to put all of that in the show notes. And thank you again for opening our minds and challenging us to see the science behind sound and the ancient wisdom behind sound. So thank you so much. It's been my pleasure. I hope you found today's podcast interesting and helpful. If you want more tips and help with managing anxiety, depression, and mental health, be sure to visit my website at drleaf.com and to sign up for my weekly newsletter where I also include a schedule of my speaking events and so much more. And follow me on social media. I'm on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Just look for Dr. Caroline Leaf. Also, I love seeing all your posts on social media about this podcast. I love seeing what resonates with you and what you've learned. So be sure to continue posting and tagging me and letting me know what you think and how these tips worked out for you. And don't forget, leave a review and keep spreading the word about this podcast. Thank you for joining me today. I really hope you learned something new and helpful. Till then... I'm Dr. Caroline Leaf. This podcast represents the opinions of myself and my guests. The content here should not be taken as medical advice. The content here is for educational and informational purposes only. Please consult your healthcare professional for any individual medical questions you may have. While we make every effort to ensure that the information we are sharing is accurate, we welcome any comments, suggestions or corrections of errors.